Hey, Teddy. Hey, Nick. Do you remember the band Apologetics? Oh, God. I forgot about that. Welcome to Oh God, I Forgot About That, the podcast that explores artifacts from turn of the millennium Christian culture. So, Daddy, do you have any memory of this band, actually? Truthfully, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. They're weirdly niche in Christian culture, but also they have been making music for over 30 years. Oh, my God. Jeez. They literally started as a band. They got together in the late 80s. Okay. um, Around 89, actually. And they put out their first album in like 91. Okay. Okay. So they've been doing music pretty much for as long as I've been alive. I I felt a little guilty talking about this because you didn't really have any context for them. Right. But they were weirdly important to like the crew of friends that I had in middle and high school in that, like that fundamentalist Christian homeschool environment. And uh, I, they just were like formative in some weird ways. So I wanted to talk about them for that. For those of you that don't know, apologetics spelled with an X instead of a CS at the end. There's (laughs) a difference. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to pronounce the X every time, but you know, it's there. For those of you who don't know, Apologetics is a Christian parody band that is explicitly their genre. They don't claim to be anything else. They are, their website describes them as a Christian parody band. So we're going to talk today about Apologetics specifically and apolog- uh, sorry, parody, Christian parody at large. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the idea of a parody band, you're not. You know parody bands. You know Weird Al Yankovic, right? You know this genre of songs that pretend to be other songs or are done in the style of another specific song, but have the words mixed around or something in the tune slightly shifted. What makes apologetics unique in the world of parody is pretty much their long-standing, consistent approach, right? Weird Al is probably the only other person of that, like, level of longevity and consistency, Mm -hmm. right? Weird Al has been making music like this since the 90s. Uh, He's been changing songs around forever. Do you tend to enjoy parody music or parodies at all? Do I tend to enjoy parodies music? No, <laughs> not at all. Okay. In fact, uh, when you mentioned this, when you first mentioned the apologetics, <laughs> um, I'm also not going to pronounce the X every time. <laughs> um, it brought me back to my own homeschooling co-op where this band was never mentioned, but Weird Al actually was kind of a big thing for a while, which is odd because it's secular. But I think that maybe sometimes his songs did actually end up being cleaner than the originals. So Christians kind of enjoyed that. Like there were some that maybe were a bit more songs that maybe had some kind of like sexual connotation or something that he kind of downplayed or made really goofy. And I remember kids in my homeschooling co-op really enjoying him. And I remember being a teenager and being like, I'm going to act like I think this is funny, but I actually don't think it's that funny. 
Um, it's just not my thing. It's just not, it's not my vein of humor. I don't know. You know, I still don't like it. I've never really liked it. So once I, again, we are all learning how much of a serious teenager that Teddy was. Yes. So I say all that to say, if I don't like the most central, you know, sort of yeah. um, parody artist, I highly doubt I'm going to like the Christian version of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fair, right? Like, if you don't like a genre when it's at its best, you're not going to like the Christian version, which is guaranteed not at its best. Right, right. And even parody, like in film, it has to be really subtle. It can't yeah. do, it, it just can't be parody too. Parody is rarely ever subtle. I know, I know. Yeah, maybe. Because, like, I mean, part of the definition of parody is that it's hyperbolic, that it's loud, that it's obnoxious, right? right. That's, it's, it's kind of a genre of cringe, on some level. Yeah. Yeah. Like even the parody, you know, because you, you know, I'm a huge horror movie fan. Even the movies that are like parody of horror, I can only really stand it for a little while. Like mm -hmm. it's not my genre. Oh my gosh. Do you remember this is sort of a, a secular memory from our time period, but all of those like spoof movies that were like not another teen movie. Or yes. like that, like not another dance movie and like, yes. like meet the Spartans and all that nonsense. Not a fan. Hated them. Not a fan. It, it was this weird kind of self-referential, self-devouring. I don't know. It was really weird. The best, to me, the best parodies, like the paragon of parody is Mel Brooks. Hmm. Like, I love Mel Brooks's comedy. I think he's fantastic. But Brooks has a way of using parody in the most perfect way. It's criticizing and reveling in a particular genre, whatever he's parodying, while also making a social commentary or parody, right? It's happening in two directions. So, you know, like his Spaceballs movie is making fun of Star Wars in a loving way while also making jokes about culture while also making jokes about, you know, like anti-Jewishness and anti-Semitism, things like that. Right. He uses young Frankenstein to make comments about anti-Semitism, but also making fun of the horror and sci-fi genre. Like he does this really complicated, nuanced thing in a very goofy, hyperbolic manner. Mm. I don't even think Weird Al does that very well, to be honest. No, not. No, no. he's making. Yeah, he's making fun of the original thing that he's parodying, but there doesn't come back to be the like other direction of commentary. Right. The commentary is missing. He's making fun of it in the sense that he's flipping it with silly lyrics, which in turn kind of shows the inherent silliness maybe of the song. Mm -hmm. but it's not a direct commentary on the absurdity of the original most of the time, I don't think. No, I totally agree. I absolutely agree. Um, to 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 be clear, I'm going to pull two definitions of parody for us to discuss at the moment. One is uh, going to be sort of a linguistic or social definition, and the other is a legal definition. Before we dive in, I want to start with those definitions. So uh, I'm going to start in typical college freshman fashion by saying Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines parody as a literary or musical work 
in which the style of an author or work is closely imitated for common comic effect or ridicule. Hmm. So it's interesting oh. that okay. that criticism thing is sort of pulled away mm-hmm. in this definition. Yeah, because by that definition, it's kind of the two things I said. The first was the comic effect, which is just the pure silliness. Mm. And the second is what I'm saying. It's missing. But that definition is actually saying it could be either or. Right. And here's where things are going to get complicated. There's a second definition that I'm going to hide for a little bit. And we're going to return to it. So uh, teaser for later for all of you listening. And Teddy, remind me that we want to come back to this second definition uh, if I forget. But the legal definition is, and I'm taking this from Cornell Law, a parody takes a piece of creative work, such as art, literature, or film, and imitates it in an exaggerated comedic fashion. Parody often serves as a criticism or commentary on the original work, the artist who created it, or something otherwise connected to the work. So this definition, the legal definition, links that criticism or critique um, very tightly, mm-hmm. I think. There are four particular metrics when a uh, lawyer looks at copyright law to see whether or not something falls under the provisions in fair use for parody. Those okay. four things are the purpose and character of the use. So this is like, are you making money off of it or not? Mm. The second is the nature of the original work. So, you know, like, is it a song and, and you're making a song? Is it a song and you're making, you know, uh, you're referencing it in a movie or something like that? Three, the amount of substantiality of the original work used. In other words, are you going note for note along the entire song? Are you just taking like the dominant melody? Are you doing all the lyrics and changing the melody? What are you doing? And then for the effect on the market value of the original work, is this harmful, right? If I cover a Green Day song, is Green Day going to be harmed by that? I highly doubt that, right? So those are the sort of things that go into defining parody from a legal sense. Mm-hmm. Does that change or influence your conception of this idea of parody at all? I don't think so. I'm trying to figure out how that works for specifically a Christian band? It's a great question. Um, Especially one like Apologetics, who has been making and selling music for 30 years. Yeah. They're not doing this for fun in their church. They're not doing this for like a coffee house, throwback to that, or something like that. They're doing it in a very public, very... Uh, monetary way. Mm-hmm. Before we dive into the history of apologetics, I want to say two things. The first is I want to uh, point out another example of parody that I think is done well. And two, I want to offer like a basic structure for this episode, what we've called in past episodes, our thesis. The first is the carve out. Um, there's a, a kind of niche genre of music that I enjoy, my partner enjoys called nerdcore. So the people who like nerdcore know about nerdcore. Uh, the people who don't, it's this weird fringe genre. Um, a lot of this is done on YouTube. Uh, a lot of indie creators. Um, the most 
mainstream example of nerdcore that I can think of is Weezer has a song called In My Garage. And it's about playing D&D in the garage. So it's just nerdcore is music about being nerdy. But one like thing that nerdcore artists do very often is they'll take songs like pop songs and they'll parody them to make them nerdy. And and in some way, tether like the nerd thing to the popular thing and create this interesting cultural criticism. One of the best examples that I can offer is uh, Whitney Avalon. Um, She does this really great cover of Billie Eilish's Bad Guy, but she writes it from the perspective of Wednesday Adams. So it's sort of this silly commentary on what we consider the like attractive bad guy, you know, uh, versus what we consider the attractive bad guy, what we consider the like, moral good you know all the criticisms that are wrapped up in wednesday adams plus that interesting thoughts about you know the persona that billy eilish puts forward in bad guy so the basic thesis for this episode is that apologetics is following a tradition of i'm gonna use a hyperbolic phrase but christian artistic thievery that attempts to simultaneously be humorous and true but fail. It's sanitized uh, in a clinical way, the depth and the nuance of the songs that they parodied. And ultimately, I'm going to use a big word here, reified the obnoxious Christian art tradition for reappropriating the secular to the end of advancing the kingdom. So to figure all that out, we're going to talk about apologetics we're going to talk about the legacy of that Christian thievery. And we're going to step into what comes after them. Like, why are we even talking about this now? Because it's still happening. So just to clarify, they were huge in our time, in our era, right? But they're still an active band. They are still actively touring. They are still actively putting out music. Okay, so they're in. They're in that. They're in that category of our stuff. That's like they were big then. They're still big. They're still going. They're still doing their thing. They have put out roughly sixty albums. What? I'm not joking. Wait, wait, six zero or one six? Six zero. That can't be. I, uh, <laughs> here you go. I'm going to throw this to you in chat. I would like you to see. Uh, it's probably closer to 50, like 53, 54. Okay. I did rough math. Okay. But that's not better. <laughs> no, it's not better. Anything above 35 would have been utterly outrageous. Yep. I know this maybe isn't fair, but when you are this level of prolific, I start to really, really doubt the um, <laughs> quality of your work. <laughs> yes. And that's one of the things that I, I kind of want to start with about this band. See, I'm going to give them credit. I'm going to open by giving them credit. It does take a fair amount of musical chops to step into so many different genres and be able to at least competently execute the song. 
I, like, look, and I, I don't think that they actually pull off good versions of all these songs. I'm not claiming that. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But having tried to learn guitar so many times and pretending to play guitar at the time that I'm recording this, um, I know that it's it's difficult to switch genres so much. That saying that said, right, that they that they at least have some musical chops. Man, oh, man, it's hard to actually respect this kind of music. Yeah, their music. Right. I, I really I'm sorry if you like them or liked them in the past and want to still like them now. But this music really appeals to like one of three kinds of people. And that's church kids who want to listen to stuff like Weird Al. Mm -hmm. Church kids who wanted to listen to secular music, but their parents wouldn't let them. And I think the rarest kind is people who wanted to listen to these classics that they love without the guilt of those lyrics. My experience is that people who actually like these songs don't like the apologetics version. In fact, I have found that it's harder to listen to the songs that I love that they parodied than the songs that I'm not familiar with. I'm not entirely sure I understand your third, the third mm -hmm. about the divorce from the from the lyric. Say that again. Yeah. So basically, if you grew up loving Led Zeppelin. Sure. And then you got saved and all of Christianity was oh. telling you that Led Zeppelin was of the devil, then this is an avenue to listen to versions of those songs with safe or sanitized lyrics. I see. So if you like the sound or there's some sort of just nostalgia of the rhythm and the, the mood of it all. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't make sense to me at all. I can't relate mm -hmm. to that. No, I, I can't either. I thought I did because I was the second category. Right. I had friends in categories one and two. I have that friend who still likes Weird Al, who I, I don't know if he still likes apologetics. I didn't ask him. was afraid. Um, <laughs> but I had the friend who wanted to listen to secular music, and I was sort of caught between the two of them in this. Uh, but I was pretty firmly in the second category. I wanted to listen to secular music. Right. Didn't we all? This might be jumping the gun a little bit, but the, have they um, put out any kind of explanation over the years of like why they're so drawn to this genre, their purpose or intent of doing it? Is it about giving Christians a kind of sanitized version of secular favorites? Do they think they're doing some sort of important work here? Like, is there any have that? Is there any commentary from them available? There absolutely is. In fact, you can go to their website oh, could I? and l read their incredibly lengthy FAQ section. Oh, boy. OK. I mean, there are almost 100 or so FAQs. People have this many questions about them. Apparent that many questions that get asked frequently. Holy shit. I'm pulling it up now, Nick. Yep. Oh, my goodness. I have never seen anything like this before. Okay, so just so our our listeners who aren't also on this crazy website, they break. They I will have it linked in the show notes, by the way. Yes, please. There are literally hundreds of questions. Nick's not exaggerating, and they have it broken up into categories. 
some by CDs. So like, what are the song, what songs are on the Jesus Christ Morningstar album? What songs are on this album? And then they tell you, and then they have concert questions. Then they have media questions. Then it starts to get a little like theological or Christian parodies sacrilegious. What are some resources to use for evolution versus creation? What? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is so funny. Absolutely. Is Jesus the only way to heaven as if anyone on this website is going to be like, not already <laughs> believe that. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you see how it goes from theology questions to like silly questions is the next one? Yeah, or wacky facts. Wacky facts. We go from theology to wacky facts. Yeah. But we go from what verses can help me deal with the death of a loved one to how tall are the band members? All given like essentially equal treatment on this list. This is so weird. Okay. But... But to your question of like, what are they trying to do here? What do they believe they're doing? What do That's they the believe they're trying to do? There's yeah. a couple FAQs, I think, that answer this question. So the first is their mission statement. Uh, Teddy, in our document, um, I have that pulled up here. That What is the mission of apologetics? If you could please read that for me. Apologetics has a simple twofold mission to reach and to teach. The band hopes to reach non-Christians with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach Christians to read the Bible for themselves. Uh-huh. What do you think of that? Well, I think the first thing that's never going to happen, that they're going to reach non <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the second one feels a little, as my students would say, out of pocket <laughs> in that to teach Christians to read the Bible for themselves. I'm mm -hmm. not sure. I mean, sure, noble goal, but I don't understand what that has to do with their music. This is to teach the Christians to read the Bible for themselves, as opposed to just hearing sermons and hearing Christian spiritual or music that incorporates Bible verses. Right. That's what's wink, wink. So it's like be in the word, capital W, be in the word. But also we're going to give you the word through crazy songs. Huh. That's, that's an interesting um, objective. So um, I don't think all of their FAQs are like golden in helping figure out the sort of purpose and philosophy of this band. But there's a couple that I, I want to pull from because this is what they explicitly are claiming. So one of their other FAQs is, is apologetics trying to sanitize secular music? Oh, yeah, that's what I want to know. Yeah. So this is pulled from this is on their website and it's pulled from an interview they did in 2004. OK. We're not here. Oh my God, I just realized that's spelled wrong. They chose the wrong here. Oh no. We're not here to sanitize secular music. We just use secular music coupled with humor and irony through parody as a tool to reach and teach others. The same way political parodists have been using it for years to get their points across. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't some vulgar, anti-God, morally defunct lyric lines in some of famous rock songs that I'd like to get out of some people's heads. Mm -hmm. Parody is a great way of doing that, too. People couldn't get that horrible Twinkle Twinkle Little Star song out of their heads until we taught them to sing their ABCs to it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he makes a really bad joke. Oh, you didn't know that was apologetics was responsible for that parody too. Mozart threatened to sue, you know. But seriously, <laughs> the twinkle, twinkle, little star analogy feels out of left field until you've read Jay Jackson. That's the lead singer and author of all their songs until you've heard him talk about why he started the band in the first place. He tells this story all the time. He he became a Christian in 1988. You know, he loved the Beatles and he loved Zeppelin and, you know, like all the classic rock greats. But when he became a Christian, he felt he had to put those aside because, you know, bad lyrics and all that. Mm-hmm. Bad anti-God morally defunct lyrics, as he says. <laughs> to be exact. He had to put those aside. So he, to teach himself Bible verses and help him memorize Bible verses, he would sing those Bible verses to the melodies of different songs that he knew on the guitar. Mm. And since he loved classic rock, which was just rock back then, that's what he knew how to play. So it became this like little technique he used to memorize Bible verses for a while. And then somebody, like they do in every church, whenever you have a little bit of it, you should turn that into a thing that everybody has to listen to. Right. Right. Capitalize. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he explicitly uses that twinkle, twinkle, little star in ABC's thing. Like, they, this is this silly song, and we, we put something to teach people to it, and that helps us learn better. Mm-hmm. That was the common explanation, too, I feel like, in my church and among most of my community, which was that there's already this, you know, kind of trendy or, you know, I don't even know. There's like a, a trendy song that's available to us. Guys, what if we replace the words with things you should be thinking about, right? Like, yep. and homeschooling moms loved that. Loved it. Loved it. And I'll even, I'll, I'll say it. I like the way you said it because I think it was more accessible and relatable, but I'm going to say it in a bit of a high-handed way, which is we're borrowing from the cultural lexicon. Mm-hmm. So that we can slip our ideas almost subliminally into a language that the average person can understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is appealing, whether, you know, intrins- more intrinsically or just because culture and society has made us find them appealing. That is more appealing to us. Right. You know? Right. Um. I'm going to continue and I'm going to I'm going to read one more paragraph from this section about sanitizing lyrics, because after he goes through that explanation of why he's not sanitizing lyrics, this is the story he chooses to tell. A few years ago, we did a parody of Papa Roach's Last Resort. Do you know that song? I don't think so, actually. Okay, if you know that song, it's just it's iconic to the people that, you know, to the people who listen to that kind of thing. It was one of those cases where I really hated the original lyrics. He censors himself. I'm going to read the way he censors himself because there is the word fuck in the title and not in the title, in the first lines. So he goes, I hated the original lyrics, which are cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Suffocation, no breathing. Don't give a bleep if they tell me I'm bleeding. Yeah, I know that song. Yeah, yeah, you do. They changed the lyrics. We changed the lyrics, he says, to plugged my life into Jesus. This this gets my life restored. Such a cakewalk. No brainer. 
don't need to fuss. See what I did there? Mm. Since I called him my savior. Aw, that's nice. I remember getting the lines to that parody while I was mowing the lawn the day before Easter. It totally changed the way I looked to that song. I, but how does it change? How does it change how you think about the song? It has nothing to do with the original song, right? It's this one is closer than some of his lyrics to actually like rubbing against the original themes. Okay, yeah. There's, I don't think that that original song is actually about like, yeah, you should kill yourself because you're depressed. Mm-hmm. Like most emo music most music in that vein that grunge it's not grunge or emo i know but it's in that vein mm-hmm. of like depressing people don't understand that it's not actually about that thing it's talking about that thing you know one of my favorite songs from my chemical romance teenagers is about teenage gun violence and people got mad that it was you know uh uh they thought it was advocating it. And he's like, no, no, no. The point is I'm making fun of that logic that says nobody understands me. So I'm going to do some violence and how people always think that you're just going to go do violence because you feel misunderstood. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's, it's complicated. And there's a lot of interesting questions we can ask about the efficacy of that type of artistic commentary. Yeah. Like the, does it work question? Right. And when it doesn't work, how bad is it? Like, right. the implications. Right, the implications. I will say that none of the mass shooters that left manifestos have ever referenced My Chemical Romance or Papa Roach or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, the things that they've referenced have been things like, you know, Ben Shapiro. The point I'm making with this is that, like, he is sanitizing these lyrics. He's explicitly saying, I don't like these lyrics because I think they indulge in suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. He's not saying that I'm saying that he's saying that. Right, of course. Um, so I'm going to turn them positive. Mm-hmm. So in, in a little bit, this specific instance is both sanitizing and parody. Mm-hmm. And then he tells a, a couple stories about, you know, you know, people getting saved because of this song. There's the second question that I want to uh, pull from their FAQs. I think that speaks to their goals and their ethos is, is apologetics just a safe alternative? Again, same. They're citing the same interview from 2004. We're not out to provide a safe alternative to anything. Our parodies aren't intended to be nicotine patches for recovering rock and roll addicts. Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) you really want to laugh here's the next sentence besides our lyrics are anything but safe they may be funny or ironic but they're in your face and we try to cover all parts and aspects of the bible furthermore the salvation message is always loud and clear on every cd and at every concert This reminds me of that Christian rhetoric that would go like, I don't know why people are looking for like romance and love and violence and excitement and all these worldly things when we have it right here in the Bible. Uh Remember that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 Trust us. We're violent and cool, too. Yeah. We have everything the world offers, but. 
better. I don't know why you go wanting to watch violent movies. Just watch The Passion. It's the most violent thing ever. Like, oh, I mean, have you ever watched Kill Bill? Let's let let's let Tarantino have the Bible for a little bit and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I promise I'm not a Tarantino bro, but I do like some of his stuff. So then that gives you a little bit of like what they're trying to do, right? They say they're not trying to sanitize. And I I honestly don't think that that's always in the forefront of their mind. But when we get into some of their examples, they're not doing much of anything else. So we're going to start by diving into a couple of their songs. I genuinely believe that there is not much to say about these songs. I know that like that sort of our thing is like diving into the text and we're going to do that. But I don't think there's much nuance and fruitfulness, fruitful conversation to be had by lingering in the the, the minutiae of all of these songs. But there's a few examples I want to latch on to to challenge two things. One, are they accomplishing their mission? Let's hold them to the standard they set. Which is? To reach and to teach. Okay. And two, how are they holding up to these legal and linguistic definitions of parody? Mm-hmm. Or I should say legal and literary definitions of parody. So are they doing those things? <sighs> I'm going to be honest, guys. There's so much cringe coming down the pipe, especially if you know these songs. Oh, boy. A couple of them, we're going to compare the original lyrics to par- uh, Apologetics' parody lyrics. And some of them we're just going to hold up as their own individual things. You listen to a handful of the songs that I sent you. Was there one that stuck out as particularly painful or particularly egregious to you? Um, let me look at the list again. So one thing I will say, as I was listening through, Nick curated me my own little Spotify playlist with the songs to listen in preparation for this episode. I will post this playlist as well in our description if you feel like you want to get a taste of how terrible this is. And I have to admit that the songs also all started to kind of run together for me, which is weird because the songs in their original form would not. Mm -hmm. So like Green Day's Boulevard of Broken Dreams would not in my head sound like I want to dance with somebody from Whitney Houston, you know, like two completely different songs. But I think it's and this also I didn't realize at the time that they've done like 60 albums, but now it's starting to make sense. The lyrics aren't particularly nuanced. They're not particularly interesting. I don't think linguistically they're doing anything all that interesting. It definitely feels like they're just kind of trying to cram Christian. This is my perception anyway. They are trying to cram Christian perspectives into a already existing song. And with that, it kind of feels like they're saying the same things over and over again. I don't know. Am I being too... Was I not listening close enough Nope, I think you are listening perfectly close. Okay. Uh, I also will say that to me, that's one of the things that really bothered me as somebody who believed 
He was artistic and creative and in love with art and literature. Christian art feels like it blends together a lot. Yeah. I mean, worship music, CCM music is like a perfect example of that. But these songs feel washed out, right? Like, like you said, we'll start with Boulevard of Broken Dreams because that's like iconic, that song. But their version feels flat. Totally does. I will read the original lyrics to Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Just just the first verse. And I would like you to then read the first law uh, the first verse of Apologetics's lyrics. Sound good? Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have such a hard time not singing this. Yeah, I feel like we had this problem before. It was with Veggie Tales, where it's like, yeah. It's so oh, and Carmen. It's so hard. And Carmen. In the but, uh, but Boulevard of Broken Dreams is like, I had like spiritual experiences to this song, like transcendence. That track. Green Day is as close to as any band will ever get to being my favorite band. I know you say this all the time. I'm sorry that I'm a one trick horse. No, it's okay. It's just, it's always perplexing to me. Okay, go for it. Sing your favorite band song. Look what he puts up with. These are the moments that I feel like I need to question our entire friendship. (laughs) So Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. Don't know where it goes, but it's home to me. And I walk alone. I walk this empty street on the Boulevard of Broken Dreams where the city sleeps and I'm the only one, and I walk alone. Could you please read Boulevard of Both Extremes by Apologetics? I walk a Galilee road. I know no one, and I am unknown. I'm a Samaritan, though. Got a known disease, but I got no home. I've got this leprosy. (laughs) I've got this leprosy. All the folks who are approaching scream. Where's their sympathy? They run and show me none. But I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'm biased. We've already said how I might be biased, but do the rhymes? No. It's it's rhythmically and rhyme, it's all off. The whole thing's off. Yeah. It's it's very off. There's something like it it almost feels like you know when you get an itch in the back of your nose and you feel like you need to sneeze, but you can't sneeze. <laughs> right. That's how apologetics feels to me i'm a samaritan though that that doesn't work right like the first line is i walk a lonely road and that has to get changed to i walk a lonely road it's close but not really in fact jackson the again the lyricist for apologetics says that he puts so much effort into making sure that he's doing similar linguistic sounds similar rhyme schemes trying to fit things into the, like, feel of the song. Well, he needs to try harder, is all I can. Right. This feels shoehorned in. Yeah, shoehorn's a good word. Yeah, force. Yeah. Yeah. And and what it, this is, like, if you, on the, the lyrics for their website, I'm pulling all of their lyrics from their website. They have the lyrics to every single song on their website and the Bible verses that inspired them. I see that. Luke 17, 15 through 16, baby. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're telling the... Good Samaritan. You're telling a Good Samaritan story, and you randomly have Frankenstein and Al Capone references later on. I was just about to say that. What the heck? 
Well, that's that's the other thing is like in order to make things fit into the songs that they're referencing, they have to throw in very strange words or ideas that don't actually make sense. Now, I feel like if we're going according to the literary definition of parody and holding them to that definition, they're not getting the critique in. I think Jackson would argue, and again, I'm trying to do him justice and and not straw man. I think if he were responding to that, he would say, well, it's about not being alone and how even when we feel ostracized or othered, there is someone there who like walks with us. But that feels like a stretch from the Good Samaritan narrative. Really, does. It's not the biblical point of the Good Samaritan na- narrative, right? No, it's not. I mean, unless this just goes back to one of the points you made before about one of the purposes of these songs simply to replace kind of secular lingo and narrative with Christian narrative. So rather than singing about depression, you're singing about the Good Samaritan and you're you're going, you know, you're singing you're singing about the scriptures because I'm not seeing the good Samaritan is a story about loving your neighbor as yourself, right? Yeah. It's about getting up and helping someone when other right. people need you, you get off your horse and you go back and you, no matter if you're inconvenienced. So I don't really understand what that has to do with the original song. I mean, I don't think it does. I I mean, I guess it's a stretch, but I, I suppose you could say that, he's critiquing this idea that like we're all in utter isolation that there is someone who's going to help no that's too much of a i'm trying too hard no no i i think that's actually maybe the closest because you know one of the lines later is like sometimes i wish someone out there would find me till then i walk alone that's the green day lyric Mm. right so there's like it almost feels like this is trying to answer that like i wish someone would find me well you know who can find you you know but the Good Samaritan's not about the Lord finding us. It's about other people finding us. No, but this goes back to, you know, all of these Christian creatives. They don't really care about the specific context of the thing. It's just about using it to fit whatever the need is in front of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw that with Harris and Rebecca St. James and so many people. You know, DC Talk, you know. The ending is, my God just set me free from a cruel, bizarre, awful disease. Went to see the priest and on the road, the Lord was my doctor. My fellow homeless ones were healed just like me. I shall embark to go thanks, give thanks to Jesus. The, the nine all wish me luck, but stay behind and then I walk alone. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, why point that out? I'm trying so hard to make sense of this and it's not coming. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to bizarre. keep. I don't mean to keep saying something and then pausing and like gazing off into the distance. I'm just. I'm. I want to justify this for them. Like I want to be mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the commentary they're making. This is what this has to do with the original. But in the end, it just comes back for me to this like really broad. I took a secular thing and I made it Christian, and that's all. And how is that different? And how is that different than any other CCM? Right. It's it's literally just explicitly doing the thing that CCM sort of does subtextually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh, you like 
Nickelback or you like this. Well, we have a CCM alternative for you. Okay, well, this is just explicitly you like this Nickelback song. Here it is. Instead of it's instead of how you remind me, it's how you rewind me. Yeah, you love that's actually an apologetic song, by the way. You love the poppy sound of Spice Girls. Here's some Zoe girl. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, You like Alanis Morissette. Here's Rebecca St. James. Oh, that's a that's a pivot. That was rough. On the Apologetics website, next to every lyrics of their song, there is a section called Jay's Journal. And it's his sort of explanation of what he was thinking when he wrote the song. If the lines weren't straight enough to begin with, he wrote inscribed a straight line. I'm just going to read this one. I'm not going to read all of them. I might read some excerpts or mention this later, but this is the one I'm going to read all the way through. This is from Jay's journal. Quick, name something worse for your social life in ancient Judea than having leprosy. How about having leprosy and being a Samaritan? That's the situation faced by the main character in this song. Based on Luke 17, 11 through 19, put yourself in this guy's sandals. Every time you come around a group of people, you have to give them warning that you're a leper. As if they couldn't figure that out for themselves. Then, after they've taken a long look at you as you pass by and disappear down the lonely road, you can hear them muttering things like, Good riddance and Samaritan idiot. (laughs) That could tend to make the person a little jaded or even turn them into a basket case. To this guy's credit, he persevered and found out something very cool. The Jesus of Nazareth and all Judea was also the Jesus of Samaria. When reading this story in the Bible, I've tried to use it as inspiration to remember to thank God for answered prayers. I always liked the old Andre Crouch song, Take a Little Time, that deals with the same topic. I don't remember where I was when I first got the idea for this song, but I know where I was when I got the last parts in the title, on my way to get my driver's license renewed. I'm thinking of a Ph.D., um, professor that we had who used to tell us to ground our ideas because our ideas are floating away like balloons mm-hmm. is a professor of ours. I think that's what she would say to this. This Yep. Book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my. First of all, <laughs> saying that leprosy is the worst thing for your social life. Are you kidding me? Well, it doesn't help your social life. That's for sure. No, of course it doesn't. But for the love of God, way to just dilute something for the sake of relevance to a teen. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then like, OK, enough of the stupid Green Day puns. Like, OK, I'm sorry. You're going to invoke American Idiot, the song about the encroaching Christian nationalism and and Republican ideology that's ruining our society, you're going to invoke that here? You keep on using that song and don't think it means what you think it means. This is the problem with this kind of genre, though, right? Like your entire when your entire art is basically just recycling something else, you always have to be talking about the other thing in order for it to maintain its cleverness. Right. You know, you have to almost keep remind. You have to keep deflecting back to this idea. Remember, remember what we're doing. Remember that funny thing we're doing. This is about mm-hmm. Green Day. You know, like because it's not your own and it's not interesting. Other with it's not interesting completely if you're too detached from the original. Is there a sense of enjoyment in this song, Boulevard of Both Extremes, on its own? I I don't I don't think there can be. I don't. We also just can't know. 
we can't know yeah. where it is. If we already know the song, it's impo- I feel like it's impossible for us to have like to approach this organically. Right. Apologetics did a lot of songs from the 70s and 80s um, when I was listening to them back in, you know, around 2004. And I remember listening to these songs with my mom in the car. And she said, no, you got to pick something else. You got to listen to something else, because all I can think is the original song lyrics and they're not happening. And it's annoying me. Yeah, agree. And I get that. Like, I didn't get it then because I didn't know those songs, you know. But now, it's so rough. I don't know if I was just a curious kid, too, but sometimes, even if I didn't know the songs, it would make me curious about what the original song was. Mm-hmm. Which is probably not the effect they want to have. <laughs> because they want to yeah. lead you away from secular music. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, before we move on to the next song, I want to pause and and talk about the value of this original thing. One of their FAQs is why doesn't Apologetics do original songs? Great question. Why? All members of Apologetics have written original music and lyrics for Christian songs. At this point in time, however, we feel called to do the Christian parodies, something that came about naturally. Christ called his followers to be fishers of men, And we take that responsibility seriously. The bait we use when we fish is humor, distortion of familiar lyrics and recognizable melodies. As apologetics lyricist Jay Jackson puts it, quote, speaking as a person who has written plenty of original songs and plenty of parodies, it's a lot harder to write a parody because you have to use words that rhyme with the original while making them say something totally different. Yep, that's what that's what that is. Okay. (laughs) And then they say the philosophy of apologetics is perhaps best summed up in the song All Apologetics from the Ticked CD. So this is their parody of Nirvana's song All Apologies. Okay. Weird Al should agree. It's all a parody. Someone else could have made every song we played. What if you don't like lines the band rewrites? What else do you need? Our apologies. If our songs get someone to sing along, is it wrong? Is it wrong? Really? Really? Writing music that's new is easier to do, but that's not the goal. Let me save some souls. I change all the names. I can see no shame. Then someone to me will turn and say, don't you guys do anything original? If our songs get someone to meet the sun, is it wrong? Is it wrong? Dare we? Yeah, we really feel we can. I know it's all right. Cool. This goes back to something that we've been saying over and over again throughout our episodes, which is this pervasive belief <laughs> that the things that you are doing as a Christian are going to catch the eye of the secular world and you are going to lead people to Christ. <laughs> something yeah. we believed so strongly, so, so strongly. And so I want to critique this, but they probably believe it. You know, they probably believe that there is someone who liked the original Green Day song, listens to this and is like, this makes me curious about Christ. What's the irony being that if someone is not a Christian and they love Green Day and they listen to this song, they probably now like Christians even a tiny bit less. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a witnessing tool. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this boils down to it's a witnessing tool. Yeah. 
Which goes back to then to their mission statement. I'm still not sure I understand the read the Bible on your own part, the latter part of that statement, but yeah. the reach part, I mean, it fulfills that, right? Is the to reach non-Christians with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's their first thing. Yep. So there is a, a belief here, a conviction here that people who are not Christians are going to listen to this music, be touched, be convicted, be inspired, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Imagine believing that. So condescending. Sorry. And again, like I, I kind of look at the bands that I to this day still like listen to like your switchfoots and need to breathe. Yeah. Right. Those bands are like really good at what they do. Their music is enjoyable. You know, like John Foreman's solo CD is beautiful, solid. It's beautiful. Um, I love Need to to Breathe is one of those bands that like they still I think they still hold up. And they like the last time I went to one of their concerts, they did this whole like deconstruction thing. And it was really interesting. Um, But we can talk about that otherwise. But it's they're fascinating. I don't think that this is compelling. No, I think you make your own art on a level of excellency. It's the um, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, 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 Flannery O'Connor thing, like, right? Like the good maker, be a good maker. And that is the thing that will make people more invested in what you have to say. Mm-hmm. I'm not just side note, but I'm also not buying this whole thing that like, it's harder to write parody. Like, no, me thinks he protests too much. Give me a break. It is not. It's not. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm not saying that it doesn't take some sort of like you have to take effort. effort. It is an art an artistic skill. Yes, absolutely. Yes, but it's not harder. Right. I mean, I do this casually. Right. Ask my sister or my partner how many times I sing a stupid song in the dog's voice or the cat's voice my god nick this is see this is why we're friends because i literally was going to say the exact same thing that like every day i make my dog like change the lyrics to a song and like sing about his food bowl or something right it's not particularly hard yeah so i'm just not Mm -hmm. buying that and especially now that you 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 brought in like the people like need to breathe and john foreman as like examples and i'm coming up with like you know, Jennifer Knapp or Jars of Clay, who have like sure. beautiful poetic music. And I understand the genre is different, blah, 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 blah. But it just, I'm just not buying that. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we could release our own original songs, but this is much harder. Like, but why can't you just say, because I like this? Yeah, this is fun. Like, that's another thing from our childhood that it was like, you can't just say, because I wanna. Yeah. It has to end up being this is the ultimate tool for evangelism or this is the one thing. This is my calling. I was made for this. And just say, I like this thing. Yeah. Okay. if you like it, fine. If you like apologetics and you're listening to this and you are pissed the fuck off at me and Teddy for saying that this is not good. You know what? Enjoy your fucking music, man. Enjoy Enjoy it. it. I'm not telling you don't enjoy this, but don't give me this bullshit about how it's really the highest. Uh, come on. Yeah, I really don't think we're here to tell people that they can't like things. I was at a Taylor Swift concert last weekend. So who am I to say? But just some like you said, like, why deliver it that way? Just let it yeah. be, just let it be a fun thing. You know, why don't you guys write your own songs? Because I like this because I think I'm better suited for this. Like, who cares? 
because Great. it sells. I mean, we would never say that, but it freaking sells if you have six. I mean, they've been doing it for 30 years. Right. It sells. So if it's not broken, why, why fix it? Yeah. <laughs> Those are all fine reasons to participate in the kind of art you like. You don't need my validation. You don't need divine validation to do the thing you enjoy. Right. It's silly. It's fun. If people want to keep listening to it, go for it. This was such a common thing, though, I think. And maybe it still is. I don't know how, you know, how popular this discourse is in the church anymore. But as kids, it felt like the surest way to legitimize anything was to make an argument for its effectiveness as a witnessing tool. Right. Yep. Whether it be a goofy, stupid T-shirt that you didn't need to spend money on or a WWJD bracelet in every color or a Christian band or parody or what or an event like everything had to be. Everything was justifiable as long as you could make an argument that it could be in some way a way to like rope the secular world in. I I hope you enjoy this analogy, but remember how we've called Christianity it feels like living in an MLM. Uh-huh. You have to be able to write things off your heavenly taxes. Yeah, you do. Everything has to be a deduction. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want the Jesus IRS coming for you, you know? Not to belabor the point, but I want to talk about two last songs. I will read the original lyrics to Enter Sandman. And would you please read a little bit of what I've got there? You can stop when you get to roughly the same spot that I do. So the original lyrics are, say your prayers, little one. Don't forget my son to include everyone. I tuck you in warm within. Keep you free from free from sin till the Sandman he comes. Sleep with one eye open gripping your pillow tight exit light enter night take my hand we're off to never never land okay spiritual version enter samson <laughs> is the title see my hair it's so long how'd i get so strong there's a clue in this song i've got you pinned always win rip you limb from limb when samson is done see this one guy only whipping your fill Philistine, Phil, wait, how do you say that? Philistines? Philistines. Philistines. Yeah. Exercise isn't why. <laughs> I'm sorry. Exercise isn't why. Shave my head. I'll be just another man. Oh, ha. You told the Samson story. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing this song for two specific reasons. One, <laughs> because I have to, have to, have to say on air the line that Jay Jackson said when he was justifying this song. Because he said that if Samson were alive today, he thinks Metallica would be the kind of band that he would listen to. And I quote, because they had long hair, which they cut and it grew back. I'm not making this up, listeners. Because their hair works? Yeah. because That's why Samson would like them? Yeah. As opposed to Peter Furler, whose hair clearly doesn't You know what? <laughs> Samson would not be a fan of the newsboys. Get those follicles fixed, Furler. Oh, my God. The second reason I wanted to point out this song is because, again, this has nothing to do with the original lyrics. The original lyrics is like taking this folk tale about the Sandman or the Boogeyman and being afraid of the dark. And he's doing this like, like pulling in this religious imagery to like make this song about 
the Sandman. It's interesting. I think it's an interesting and kind of just, you know, spooky song. There's a, a like a, a slew of of uh, metal songs from the 80s and 90s that are like pulling from like horror imagery and fantasy imagery. And they're great. They're fun. They're interesting. No, we're just talking about Samson here. But not only does it not reference the original song, some of these lyrics are horrible. A little farther down, in the arms of Delilah, she was a thorn in my side. She would nag and cry. I think she's a spy. She would nag and cry. Like, that's why Delilah was terrible, because she was a naggy woman. A little later, this that's not so horrible, but a little bit later... Uh, if I die a foreign slave, pray the Lord these poles to shake. First of all, it's the Lord's prayer that, that Metallica is citing in this moment. He's literally taking the language of the Lord's prayer and remaking it because that wasn't religious enough. Watch little pagans. Don't fail me, Lord. They make me blind. I'm sure you've heard. Make this a feast they won't forget. Bring bloodshed on their heads. Make things right. End their lives. Take a stand. Take this life, end it right. Take my hands, crush them into desert sand. That's more violent than the horror song that they originally took from. It truly is. This is an example of a time where it feels like they're not sanitizing. (laughs) No. They're making a worse version. It's more violent. It's more like revelatory and bloodshed. Mm -hmm. Again, they're taking the lyrics to a song about horror and they're making it worse. In a like moral sense, it's also five minutes and thirty one seconds. Uh, the original song's really long too. There's a couple like long guitar solos and instrumental sections. Oh, okay, so th- I mean, so that actually is my question. So are they also kind of imitating or mirroring whatever you want to say how it sounds musically, like direct? Oh yeah, song? yeah, yeah, yeah. They do a they do a competent job. Like you know, if you're at an open mic night and somebody plays Inner Sandman, it's about that quality. Yeah, you know. Do they do? They're nothing to write home about, but it's competent. Do they do Bohemian Rhapsody? They do. Bethlehemian Rhapsody. Okay. I'll have to look that up later if I feel like. Yeah, if you want to die. Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) Uh, I found out that they did it. They covered a Fallout Boy song. Fallout Boy is another one of those bands that's in the runnings for my favorite. They did Dance Dance. They called it Transplants. So instead of Dance Dance, we're falling apart at halftime, it's transplants. We all need new hearts. It's past time. And you know the, like, uh, why don't you show me a little bit of spine you've been saving for this mattress? That's the line from the song. Yeah. They changed that to, why don't you go and get a brand new heart from the saving Lord of Nazareth? <laughs> the last song of theirs I want to talk about before we move on to the last little bit of our show here is, I feel like I'd be remiss the number of times I've talked about Nirvana on this show, mm-hmm. we have to talk about their parody of Smells Like Teen Spirit. True. True. Now, this is one of the very few times that I actually think that they are doing technical parody. Okay. Where they are discussing the content of the song or they're doing some sort of criticism in the song. Okay. Sweet. I'm going to read the original lyrics and I'd like you to read the apologetics lyrics so the original smells like teen spirits lyrics i've mentioned how weird these are before but load up on guns bring your friends it's fun to lose and to pretend 
She's overboard and self-assured. Oh no, I know a dirty word. And then there's a repetition of hello. With the lights out, it's less dangerous. Here we are now, entertain us. I feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now, entertain us. A mulatto, an albino, a mosquito, my libido. Hey, yeah. Okay. And their version is load up on grunge and be depressed. It's fun to do for two minutes. There's no award for the self-absorbed before you know you're 34. Ouch. You're old, you're old, you're old, you're old. How old? Man, it's nice out. And this day is made by God now. Celebrate it. Life is too brief. Let's complain less. You Nirvana imitators. Look at Dave Grohl, for example. Yeah, he's cheerful, like the Beatles. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> now, worship's yeah. not what I do best. It's hardest if I feel depressed. But when I do exalt his name, it always helps to kill the plane, to kill the pain. And then there's a repetition of Ale. Ale. Uh, and it's actually, they wrote it Hallel. Yeah. But to match the, le- the, to match the sound of the song, they're saying Hale, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Hallelujah. Right. But not all. Yeah. Okay. Dave Grohl, for those who don't know, was the original drummer of Nirvana. And after Cobain died, he started his own band with the members of Nirvana and he's in the Foo Fighters now. He's a really wholesome, nice dude. Mm. He really genuinely is. But he's not all of a sudden all smiles, first of all. He still writes grunge music. He writes like a lot of his stuff is that kind of like um, optimism through nihilism that you and I like so much. Yeah. I don't you don't know Dave Grohl if you're actually paying attention and you say this sort of thing. Also, you don't know the fucking Beatles. If you're going to talk about the Beatles being cheerful, they're the guys that wrote happiness is a warm gun. I was just about to say, what is with the now he's cheerful like the Beatles? Yeah, the Beatles had like a couple fun songs, but they have some heavy shit in their music. Like you're listening to pre, you know, pre drugs and alcohol the beatles like have you listened to sergeant pepper like it sounds happy but it's not like have you listened to i it's just what would have been a is, better example beach boys maybe the beach boys maybe they would have been a better example mm-hmm. even then i don't i think the beach boys would have been a better example because there's more in the beach boys that's fighting against the lead singer fuck i forgot his name but there's people fighting the other members of the band are fighting against him to do more like happy surfside stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he's trying to be deep and meditative. That's what I would like. Too. There's at least a tension there. Yeah. All the Beatles are trying to be as deep as possible. Right. You know, I don't know. I just, this is like, oh yeah, the being pessimistic and being sad is not going to get you anywhere. So stop. So they're trying to critique the grunge lifestyle, mm-hmm. but you've entirely missed the point of smells like teen spirit if you think that that's not what Cobain is doing, this is another one of those moments where like you're misunderstanding the song. You think this is, Oh, let's just go and indulge in this life. No, the reason this song is so important. The reason this song is teen spirit, the teen spirit is feeling misunderstood, feeling stupid and contagious. Oh my God. That line 
just caught a lot of what I felt as a teenager. Mm. Feel stupid and contagious. <laughs> With the lights out, it's less dangerous. Yeah, that's why I sit in the dark, because I feel like that's less dangerous than going and being out with people. Right. There's something not indulgent in this song. It feels indulgent if you don't understand it. But if you're kind of in on it, so to speak, you recognize this as the moment that you're seen in a comfortable way, that you're not alone. You know, I, I, that's at least always how I've read it. That's how like Nirvana and, you know, the whole emo grunge scene felt to me. And I think most people who really live their life, they do it because they felt seen, because they felt heard, because it was a way to be understood that is less dangerous, to use Cobain's words. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's more of an explicit attempt here at parody yeah. in the in the within the definition we were talking about, but it's a failed attempt. Yeah. Happy fair. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. To, to wrap up this song part where we're talking about their songs a little more explicitly, I don't think they stick to the definition of parody from a legal or an artistic sense. Mm -hmm. But they do stick to their mission, which is to like reach and teach. Like they're always just trying to instruct. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make it a way that you learn these Bible songs or learn. But they're not very funny. Right. Right. Like there's something, you know, you giggled at Enter Sandman, right? Like because there's that silly line like, right, uh, it, it's not exercise that I'm this way. You know, their their rendition of the real Slim Shady, dear God, it's called the real sin savior. Right. And it is incredible. The hoops that he jumps through to not use slurs and say the F word as much as as Eminem does. Yeah. Uh, but it's so stupid. It's their anti-evolution song. That's what The Real Sin Savior is about. Oh, okay. by the way, in case you're interested. Um, but you laugh at it because of its dissonance. You know, I've said on the podcast before, my theory about humor is like you laugh at something because it's a glitch from your expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as it gets. It gets a hearty chuckle and you move on. You know, that's why I said I think the things like uh, Mel Brooks and Nerdcore is better at parody because it's trying to make you laugh in its own right while using these other things sort of in the background. Yeah. Not it's trying to do this explicit thing while also, you know, as a side note, make you laugh. So the last thing I want to say, and this will be a, a fairly brief section, is I want to talk about what comes next. What what stems from this? Well, Christians are doing a ton of this kind of uh, rewriting and parodying. Uh, somebody who comes to mind is Tim Hawkins. He wrote a parody of the Beatles song yesterday oh. called Chick-fil-A. It was so successful that like Chick-fil-A like actively uses it in advertising. Oh. I have links to that. I will put those in the show notes. He also has the Starbucks song called The Sound of Starbucks. Oh, no. Poor Simon mm. Garfunkel. They, he is specifically parodying the Disturbed cover. It's 
clever the first time you listen to it. Mm-hmm. And then it is, that's it. People do this all the time. Somebody did all the single ladies as all the modest ladies. It just, every time there's a hit song, it's somebody covered a WAP. No. It's called Worship and Praise. Yeah. And you have to listen to it at least once because good golly gee, it's rough. See, that's a little, I have to be honest, that's a little perplexing to me because mm-hmm. I feel like most Christian kids probably were not, uh, are not going to be aware of that song or at least not on any kind of like, you don't, you don't agree that they're not going to be aware of it. I'm dubious of the claim. I don't think it's impossible, okay, yeah. but I think any kid on like social media is going to know it on some level, at least know of it. I'm thinking of some of the Christian families I know. And I think that there is a, okay. So I should say within the Christian families, I know, I think that there is a solid chance that they actually would not know the WAP song unless mm. they heard this. And then they would be like, what's this parrot? You know, what, what is this satirizing? And then they would go and look up the song. <laughs> I mean, that's interesting. That is always the risk of this, right? Is that yeah. when your whole feature is that you're being defined in opposition to something else and that you're, you know, playing off the secular, you do indirectly still direct people's attention back to the secular as opposed opposed to a pure replacement, like more classic CCM where you don't need to know who NSYNC is to enjoy plus one. So it's a little risky in that sense. It is a little risky in that sense. I think that's absolutely correct. And I could see a Christian argument. That's like, why keep drawing attention to this? Isn't me speaking, but like, I could see a Christian argument especially from some of my real conservative folks. That's like, why keep drawing attention to the, to the works of the world? Why Mm -hmm. can't we have our own thing? Why direct people's attention back to this? See, this is again, the problem with this mode, I think for Christian art, it's the problem that we've talked about with those t-shirts, right. That are like the advertisement logo and stuff for something else that, you know, instead of Reese's, it says Jesus or Coca-Cola. It's like Christ something like that. Is it feels very much misguided. Yeah. It feels like it's too focused on doing this outreach exchange rather than creating something new. I I used to, I I didn't like that kind of stuff when I was really active in those circles as well. I would say to them like, okay, well, we're going to shackle our name to the most creative being that has ever existed. Why are we like, cribbing off the world's notes Mm -hmm. yeah exactly you know it bothers me to that end i want to kind of close talking about a little bit about the harm because we've we've talked a lot about like what's the harm honestly alone in isolation i do go do you Mm. you know this is silly this is fun if this is what you want to do with your life if this is the kind of music you enjoy Go for it. I'm not going to tell you don't listen to it. I would never tell someone to not enjoy what they love. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't do that kind of thing. But there is a problem with it. And I'm going to point to two specific examples. The first is the Door McAllen Church in Texas. Okay. the Door McAllen Church in Texas very often puts on elaborate live performances that are basically apologetics level uh, parodies of movies and plays. Mm. They did a retelling of Beauty and the Beast in which the Beast gets saved because of Belle loving him. 
was saying, well, why does like Beauty and the Beast need to be redeemed? It's already like a very, you know, wholesome. Story. Oh, no. She reads the Bible to him. Got it, got it, got it. And they have theological conversations. And that is how he becomes human again. OK, so there's a lot to say there in terms of purity culture and like you're going to win over the abusive boyfriend with the Lord. But we don't have to. That's that's a whole different situation. Mm-hmm. Notably. They had their pants sued off recently <laughs> when they did this to, I shit you not, Hamilton. 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 Oh, my gosh. They not only used so much of the original material, they rewrote it to let Hamilton have a come to Christ moment huh. at the like duel right before he dies. And they made a whole bunch of extra Jesus references and explicitly said from the pulpit both that they had permission from Lin-Manuel Miranda and the Hamilton legal team, which they did not, and that they believed that this would be a way to help people be freed from the sin of being a part of the LGBTQ community. Mm. So they got sued like crazy. Because I didn't know this, actually. I found this out recently. Churches actually have a special carve out in copyright laws where during worship or some live performances, they are allowed to reproduce copyrighted material explicitly for worship or part of one of their religious services. Performances. Mm -hmm. Churches. Churches. Okay. well, yeah, I mean, they're already exempt from the law in many ways. Yeah. But like this is like, you know, I remember like being in in like youth group services and they're like, okay let's play a Sonic Flood song, you Mm -hmm. know, and like, oh, how do you get around that? Well, you've got to carve out because it's worship. Right. Other things. So that's that's its whole own legal. But this is the kind of thing it does. Again, why not just write your own thing? Why not do something like sight and sound, you know, put on these elaborate displays of of Bible stuff? You've got so much to work with already. You can create your own thing. Why not do it? The last thing I want to say is. We can't talk about Christian parody culture without referencing the Babylon Bee. And the Babylon Bee is a fairly recent thing. It doesn't come from our culture, our, our time zone. So I'm not going to talk about it long, but they are basically the Christian onion. That's how they market themselves. OK. They do parody articles and they do. Honestly, it's bad. There are so many reasons there's bad. I'm going to put a link in the in the notes to a really great like hour-long video essay on them and problems with Christian comedy um, that's done so thoroughly and so well. Uh, These guys, it's the guys from Some More News, if you ever watch them on YouTube. Oh, this is is making fun of liberal politics. Oh, this is making fun of liberal politics, which I'm usually okay with doing, except they basically have two jokes. I identify as a tire iron and look how dumb AOC is. Okay. Like they literally had uh, one of their headlines was AOC accidentally strangles herself with her shoelaces. That's it. That's the article, the entire thing. So I'm going to quote from this Atlantic interview with one of the head writers from Babylon B. And I just want to like explain what we're talking about when we talk about the harm in this perspective. Uh, This is the interviewer. You guys wrote an article in January, 2020, that was shared roughly 3 million times, claiming that the Democrats called for the American flag to be flown at half-staff when the Iranian general 
Qasem Soleimani was killed in an American airstrike. What makes this fun? I know it's the worst question to ask somebody who writes jokes. Man, this is the head writer. It's funny because General Soleimani died, and then they called for flags to be flown at half-mast. Get it? But, but that's what I'm saying. Besides just saying the joke again, what makes it funny? Do you want me to explain the joke to you? Because the joke is that General Soleimani died and Democrats were sad. If you don't know why that's funny, then you're not the audience for the joke. The funniest part is that it got fact-checked because it was so believable that Democrats would do that. That's a real horror. It sounds like this is a Supreme Court and pornography thing. You know, when you see it, this is the interviewer again. You either laugh or you don't. And if you're in the don't category, we can't help you. But I want to ask about that fact checker part. I don't think the reason the Snopes fact checked it was because it was so plausible. I think it's because it was shared three million times. What if people did believe it was real? Do you worry about that, regardless of how many times you make it clear that you're sat a satire publication? And then he says, and this is the last thing I'll say, not really. Comedy has been mistaken for reality for years. We write on for Facebook and Twitter. What makes the comedy work is that when someone's scrolling through their newsfeed and they read a Babylon Bee headline, they're not prepared to laugh. They're prepared to consume a news article or an editorial, editorial or op-ed. Then they do a double take and go, wait a minute. And then they spend some time talking about ethical responsibilities, which he basically laughs off. Mm. This is where I have a problem. Not because someone might take it for truth. I get it. You know, people do that. It's a problem. It's a problem with parody and satire all since the beginning. You know, it's literally part of the charm of parody. But do you see where the parody is here? They have lost all sense of humor because they think the fact that it's plausible is funny and is the critique. The funny and true. That's funny because it's possibly true. That, that's, that doesn't make things funny. Mm-hmm. You're, you're mixing up, oh, this is funny because I relate to it with, oh, it's funny because it's plausible. Those are two drastically different things and they shouldn't be confused. Again, at the end of the day, the Babylon Bee, like apologetics, like the, the McAllen Church, are just interested in putting forth a particular agenda, advancing an ideology, and not the art form itself. Right? What makes Weird Al work for the people who enjoy Weird Al is that he's embracing the art form and using the art form. What makes Nerdcore and Mel Brooks work for the people that enjoy it is because they're embracing the art form and also saying something. Right. Not, I'm putting forth this particular agenda, mode, or genre be damned. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about, about this to close? I feel like nothing that's going to not open up a huge can of worms. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about this conversation yeah. and, and so much more than is the scope of this episode. But, but I did want to leave our, our listeners thinking about this because when you sacrifice the function and defining characteristics of an art form or a genre on the altar of ideology, you've stopped doing art. Mm-hmm. You've started doing propaganda. And apologetics, like much of what has come after it, They've kind of lost sense of the funny. Yeah. They've lost sense of the genre. 
It's just a way to say Christian things with successful tunes. I know that I've talked for far too long. I want to thank you all for joining us for today's discussion on Oh God, I Forgot About That. If you enjoyed our episode and don't want to miss future episodes, please follow us so you can get notifications about upcoming episodes and everything else that we're doing here. You can also interact with us between episodes on sites like Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So make sure you reach out and chat with us in those places. We'd love to hear what your thoughts about the parody genre and apologetics specifically, or even the Babylon Bee are. And one last thing, we'd be so grateful if you rated the podcast. It'll keep us visible to ensure that others hear about us. Thanks again for joining us on this journey of remembering. Talk to you soon.